Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Smith. We are proudly sponsored by my good friends at Dr. Dish. Contact Dr. Dish, mention this podcast, and receive an exclusive discount on their shooting machine. My hope is, as you listen to the podcast, you'll gain knowledge in X's and O's, leadership, and culture building. Now, let's grow the game together. Before we get started with today's interview with Sam Allen, I want to let you know about my good friend Kevin Furtado. He released the Championship Vision Podcast Clinic Series on CoachTube. Over 20 high-level college and high school speakers and over 21 hours of video content with coaches covering every topic you can imagine. Go to CoachTube, type in Kevin Furtado, or type in Championship Vision Podcast Clinic Series and check out what he has to offer. I want to welcome Sam Allen to the podcast. Sam Allen is the owner of Blue Collar Basketball, a director with PGC, and he's also very involved with Key 5 Coaching. How you doing, Coach? Hey, doing phenomenal, Matt. Excited to be on. Yeah, we've had you at a coaching clinic in Chattanooga several years ago. We've connected a few times at clinics and, and, and PGC events in the past, so uh, definitely glad we connected to the podcast. We're not far away from each other in Georgia, and you know, you do a lot of things from training to you have your, you have AAU teams, correct, through blue-collar basketball? That's correct, yep. Let's just dive right, at, right into the topic. And in your opinion and your experience, what elements make for a really good basketball practice? Yeah, it's a good question, Matt. And, and I would say that I think a lot about this. And over the last few years, I've approached it with – you know, a lot less judgment. You know, you probably visit a lot of practices. I, I coached at the college game for 10 years and was a college coach. And so, like, you know, that's my main – that's where I built in um, my knowledge and um, in coaching and, and, you know, earning my stripes. And so – but I, I try to – like, I go to a lot of practices, high school, college, um, you know, NBA practices, and just to learn – and, you know, you sometimes are sitting there and you're, you're trying to learn, but then you're, you start judging what they're doing. And the reality is, well, what makes a good practice? Well, I don't know what your practice is a good practice for you and mine. I think there's some common elements among the great practices, but I think I would start here. What makes a good practice, which is first, did you accomplish your goals and your wins for that practice? And obviously then you're fitting in, that practice into your big picture of like, is this moving us in the direction I want us? So, you know, Matt, you start practice on Monday, right? And so That's correct. you're, you're going to have some goals that you want to get done in that practice. But then also you have an idea by Friday, Hey, I would like to have my half court offense and transition offense installed. Maybe you're putting in your deep, I, I don't know, whatever it is. And then you would measure at the end of that practice. Okay. We, did we accomplish it or did we not? And that's, I think that's the essence of a great practice. Did we accomplish what we set out to do? And I love the fact that you're doing this podcast and what you're doing with the clinics because it's helping educate coaches on how do we get better at our craft. But I, I would to f- f- finish out some elements here, which is I think their great practices are efficient. I think they have great competitiveness. I think they have um, they build togetherness or chemistry within the players and the staff. And I think they have a good energy to them. I think they all have those. But a great practice in October is different than January or February. And the season dictates what, what we do there. You mentioned goals, or I liked how you said wins. Do you think it's a good practice for a coach in that practice plan to have those goals on paper? Oh, 100%. And, and I've got a practice plan. Listeners won't be able to see this, but I'm holding it up to you. At the top of the practice plan, I was on court with a high school team this morning. I, I, and what I do now, we, I work with a lot of different high school teams a couple times a week and help them with their preseason. Well, at the very top, like right here on this one, number one, transition defense. Number two, finishing possessions. That's, you know, whether that's a box out or getting a loose ball, what, we got to finish the possession. Number three, competing. And number four, communication. Those were our four wins for this entire preseason that I'm doing with this high school Georgia team that has a chance to win a state championship. And I share that with the players. We get really clear. I pull the four leaders 
of that team before practice and have a little two-minute huddle with them and get them aligned and say, are we, you know, I, I look them in the eyes and, and make sure they're vibing with what we're about to step out on court and do. And I think anytime, like sometimes we as coaches, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I think we might sell players a little short like enroll them into the process. Yeah. Let them, let them know, like, what are we trying to do that gets them, you know, feeling like buying into the, the bigger picture or the why. And I think, I think you're going to have better practices when your players are on board with what you're doing and let, and instead of, instead of like, okay, we're going to go to this drill, blow the whistle. All right, this drill. Right. So I think there's some real value in that. So I like what you talked about, the energy, and this leads into the next topic. So energy, a competitive atmosphere. What can coaches do if they think, man, practices are organized, we're accomplishing, accomplishing some things, but, man, the energy is just not what we want. And some coaches struggle to bring energy maybe because it's just not their personality. So how would you challenge a coach to have more energy, which I think will lead to a more competitive practice? Not only am I honored to host this podcast, I'm also a high school basketball coach myself, and my team just purchased the Dr. Dish CT. Dr. Dish knows that coaches work very hard to save every penny they can, so I sent back our old other brand shooting machine and got a discount. We also took advantage of their one-year payment plan, paid half now and half later, and my kids love this shooting machine, calling and texting me constantly to get in the gym, and players love immediate feedback. They're able to know their shooting percentage from every single spot they shoot from. And also, using the Dr. Dish app, they can track their shots throughout the entire season or the course of their career. This is a game changer. It's almost like I hired another assistant coach, call Dr. Dish, mention this podcast, and take advantage of our exclusive discount. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, I, I want to touch first on the competitive practice. If I don't get hold me to answering the energy thing. Are you, are you familiar with Seth Godin um, and his work at all? Yeah. Okay. So several years ago, I heard Seth Godin speaking at a leadership conference and he, and he said he believes that, that our traditional education system fails young people. And he says, really, what we need to be teaching in schools is teaching young people how to do two things. And he said, one is how to, how to become leaders, how to become leaders. Number two we need to teach them how to solve interesting problems. So again, leadership and solve interesting problems. And that's, and, and his, his argument would be in life, that's what we as, like we've got to be able to be leaders, whether it's leaders of ourselves, leaders of our family, leaders of our program, leaders of our company, leaders of our department. And then we all have interesting, you probably had some interesting problems today, whether it's being a dad or at, as a teacher, and we got to be able to solve those. So. I say that to say this next thing, which is, well, how do you teach people to be better leaders and how do you teach them to be better problem solvers? And Seth Godin would say, well, you got to put them in leadership situations. And then number two, give them interesting problems to solve. And I think about that often, Matt, when I think about coaching and to your point, competitiveness. Well, how do we get, and I know this touches on something we might get to later, but well, how can you really build competitive players? And I, I would say, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, how do we do it? Well, make your practices competitive. Yeah. Have winners and losers. Track, track competitive situations. And a few years ago in 2015, when we started, you know, for, for years, we just did track, um, excuse me, training and we ran a recruiting service. Well, then we transitioned and started doing travel ball teams. At the end of the year, probably you do this with your team, Matt, where – um, I would ask our players, hey, what, what did you learn this year? What were your takeaways? Survey them. And I, and I kept getting good stuff like, you know, like felt like, you know, get better at shooting or communication or working hard. I didn't hear them say, learn how to compete. Mm -hmm. And then I would get the phone call from players and say, coach, I'm not playing as much as I, as I want to, right? You know, and – I'm only playing 12 minutes a game. What do I, I'm, not, I'm the sixth man. How do I become a starter? And my question always is number one, my number one question I'd ask a player when I get the phone call or the text, are you competing like a crazy man or a crazy woman in practice every day? And if the answer is not yes, well, then that's the, that's the starting point. And I think competing, I think competing is a skill. Shooting is a skill, passing, all the, 
But like, you know, the kids that are great in the drills, but for whatever reason, when they go out there and it's man on man or woman on woman, they, um, they don't get it done. They're good on the cones and the chairs. But so I start, this was a, this was a shift, um, a paradigm shift for me. Like, wait a second, Sam, you've got to do a better job teaching competing. And I've, I've been on this quest over the last seven, eight years to get better at this. This is what, this was a, um, a trait of mine as a player that allowed me to have success because I wasn't the fastest, strongest. And I was able to have success as a high school, college player because I think of my competitive desire and, you know, studying Anson Dorrance, UNC women's soccer and the competitive cauldron and, and like, just really like, how do we create practices that draws out this competitiveness? And to, and then my final point, Matt, back to originate your question I don't know that you have to, as a coach, be the guy that's running around yelling with high energy. And I'm that type of coach. I, I, I paint the floor. I got, I got energy in my voice and in my body. But whether, whether you're low-key energy or you're a 65-year-old coach, I don't think you have to be the most energetic one to have energetic practices. I've been in practices where it's the guy's been coaching 35 years, he doesn't say much, and his kids get after it. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right. I'm getting excited, so slow me down here. Um, no, we love it. We lo hey, we're talking about energy, and you're showing energy. This is perfect. But real quick, it makes me think, and I always think about this, uh, Rick Bird. And I think Rick Bird spoke at, the, spoke at the clinic you were at in Chattanooga. Rick Bird. Yeah, you made, you made me follow him. That was a good follow. Right, yeah, well, you know. And so it went like Kermit Davis, Rick Bird, Sam Allen. That was, <laughs> that was the top three. But Rick Bird, fairly quiet, fairly calm. You ever seen Belmont practice when he was the coach? Very intense. They got after it. Very competitive. So I think you're right. A coach doesn't have to completely change their personality, but you also might say, you know what? I've been doing this 30, 30 years. I'm kind of quiet and calm. I'm going to make sure I hire an assistant who's got some energy. And I would say one final thing there. You know, you had Gene Durden on, and, I, and I, I'm going to get ahead of us, but, you know, Gene, we know Gene's phenomenal coach and his culture. And he and I actually were talking this morning about some stuff and like, well, his, his counterpart at Buford High School is my old high school coach, Eddie Martin, yep. who, who you should have on. And he doesn't do many podcasts, but he's won nine state championships. And, and I'm indebted to him because of what I learned as a high school player under him. Um, but I think about something he did where we charted shooting every day and we had our ninth grade coach would walk around and write down all the percent and he put it on a little tack board. So when you walked in our locker room, you saw yesterday's shooting, you saw the top scores for the year and coach Martin didn't say a word about competing, but when you walk in and you see it, you, you say, wait, I want, I want to beat, I want to beat Matt, you know? Yep. And, and I think that's where the, the, the master coach, the master teacher, Let's the the practice be the teacher. Let's the game be the teacher. Um, I think really good teachers can do that. They create an environment, and then boom, the players learn. And of course, they're doing some teaching, but I think that's something that that coaches can can take away is create environments where it draws out the competitiveness. I know we'll go deeper on that, but that's just one final point I want to make. No, that's good. Well, that kind of leads us into the you know next topic. Um, if I want to have an energetic practice, if I want to have a competitive practice, I believe how we start practice is one of the most important things. So in the Sam Allen world, how do you believe or how do you like to start practices? Like I know, you know, Gene has the the quick start or quick change method. And other, some coaches go with the hardest drills first. It's, I know some coaches start with charge drills, the very first thing on the locker room. Some start with a competitive five, just a two-minute game of five on five. Let's see who's going to win. What do you think? All right. Well, first off, I think practice starts before the coach blows the whistle and has the pre-practice huddle. Okay. So I, I don't, I view, and maybe this is my trainer hat putting on, but I think this is reality is if we do a good job as coaches, we're teaching our players how to have a player led workout before practice ever starts. So I've created different things like what we call a first 50 workout and they got to make 50 shots with a partner where they each of them make 50. Uh, recently, I've transitioned to an 85-shot workout. So if me and you are partners, Matt, I would, I would make 
you know, 10 micing and 10 reverse micing while you're doing ball handling. You're talking to me. We're warming up our voices. We switch. Then I go into our foundation 15, which is a, 15, a series of 15 shots that, you know, are stay, somewhat stationary shots. We do three rounds. That's 45. Now we've made 65 each. And then we go into our final 20, what we call our one-two step, where we go block to block. And then we go elbow to elbow. And we make 85 shots, and, and we can both make 85 wow. in less than 15 minutes. So the expectation and the standard would be you get to practice early enough to get 85 shots. That way, before we start practice, you've already got a sweat. You've already got your voice warmed up. We're engaged. We're not, we're not waking up. We're, we're ready. And so what I've done over the last year, we go right into – Three-on-three three FIBA. Now, are you familiar with three-on-three three FIBA? A little bit. Just explain it to me and, okay. and the listeners. It's an Olympic sport now, actually, and we don't do it. You know, the Olympic sport has a shot clock. But the way we play three-on-three three FIBA is, say you're the blue team, I'm the red team. Red team shoots it. Make or miss. It's gonna, if you get the rebound, you got to clear the ball behind the arc off the dribbler pass, but it's live. Like if your team gets a rebound, we're immediately playing defense. You just got to clear it behind the arc and then your team can attack. Or if we make a, if I drive it in and make a layup, you grab it out of the net, it's your ball and you go. And it's a fast paced game. As you know, three on three is great because you, you have good enough spacing, but then it's not like a five on five where you could play for five minutes and touch the ball one time. I mean, the ball is going to touch hands. And quite frankly, I think that's the best skill development, better than any drill. And so we, right from the get, we're sending a message, competing matters. And for, for us, and, I, and I'm, I'm still, I think, I mean, Matt, I've been coaching 20 years now, and I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm a novice. I feel like I'm still learning so much. And, um, and so I'm experimenting with, at the end of that, if your team wins 20 to 14, we lose by six, then my team has six sideline sprints. If we lose by 15, 15. Now, what, why that's important is, you know, if you're up 20 to two and there's one minute left in the game, and I know, gosh, I could run. If you don't, if you don't have that, that um, exponential sprinting, then they'll, they'll just give up. We can't come back. But if I can cut my sprints from 18 to eight, there's going to be better effort all the way through. So, uh, and it's not like a pun. It's it's just putting something on the line. We might do push-ups. Right. So is that a – do you play to to score or do you play a time? Which is it first to 20, first to 25, or we play for three minutes? We typically do a four-minute war. A four-minute war. I mean, like in college, you, you have media timeouts every four minutes. In high school, half of a quarter is four minutes. So, like, can we play as hard as we can and compete for four minutes? And if you can win the four-minute wars – you're going to win a lot of games, right? Win, win the battles within the war. So we do, we do four minutes typically. I usually then build it up to five. But we've done the point system too. Hey, we're going to play to 21. But I find that the um, we, we if you have 12 players in practice, you got two games of three on three going. Well, then you you might have a team finish a lot earlier. So that's why the time is better. That's good. I mean, I'm thinking I could have. 24 players once I get the football kids back and get everyone in the gym. You've got six goals. You can easily do that and have three assistants moving around, watching. Are there any specific rule – not rules, but is there any type of limitations you put on it? All right, yeah, let's, let's, go, ahead and, let's go ahead into that for a second. So there's a lot of things. Um, one thing we might do is any, any paint kick out three. So if the ball gets in the paint and you catch and shoot a three, that's worth five points. Now – that could be, Matt, you're, you're getting the blue team and you got the defensive rebound from the paint. And John on your team sprints and finds an open spot on the three and you hit a kick out, boom, three, right? And so it forces the defense to quickly transition, quickly react. And it can come off penetration. It can come off an offensive rebound. But the rule is kick out threes or five points. That's one thing. Here, here's one we did this morning and, I, you know, I love it. And this really, I think, gosh, I think coaches are going to like what I'm about to say. Um, okay, so let's say Chris, Bobby, and Johnny are a team of three. 
I'll start the game and I'll say, who's the best shooter on your team? That's always an interesting question to see who answers it, right? So say Chris said, yeah, I'm the best shooter. Okay, Chris, if you hit a three in this game, any three, it's, you get, your team gets five points. Hey, who's the best driver and gets to the rim the best? Johnny? Oh, okay, Johnny, if you get a layup off the drive or a cut, you get five points. Who's our best offensive rebounder? I forget who the third guy, Bobby, is that his name? Bobby. Bobby gets an offensive rebound, Matt. That's worth five points. Then, same on the other team. Let them huddle up for 20 or 30 seconds. Go listen to the huddle before you, you give them – this is the first time you ever do it. And I did – you know, like, players will be talking about how they're going to score instead of, you know, what they need to be doing. Hey, if Chris is that three-point shooter, we better not let him get any catch and shoot. Hey, if, if Bobby's the offensive rebounder – you better Buffalo box him out. Don't – and you know what that, that – you know you're going to go play a game in November here in Georgia, and your first game you're going to have a team that has a big-time shooter, yep. a big-time offensive rebounder, and you've all – instead of, like, going into the first game and being like, hey, we got to – no, you've already practiced the emphasis, and now your players are accustomed to, like, scouting reports essentially. So yeah. I think it's great. That's good. You get a lot done in that four minutes or five minutes for sure. Because they start thinking the game. Because, like, if, if, Matt, you're a big-time shooter, well, i got to find ways to go screen for you, dribble handoff, ball. Like, we're trying to get you buckets, and they're worth five points, and we can win. So that's where their basketball IQ, they think the game better. I mean, uh, and that's something I've just been experimenting with in the last year or so, and it's, it's just very effective. That's good. So any other uh, – again, this kind of leads us to what we're going to go to next, but – Small-sided games, again, that's the popular term now. I always called it breakdown drills. So I've been doing breakdown drills for a couple of decades, but we'll use the the, the new hot phrase, small-sided games. But that the FIBA one's awesome. I mean, coaches can take this and make it what they want to. Or you could even say this, you know, what player is not the best at getting downhill, but we need to build that skill. Now you get five points. Exactly. Or you get seven points if you, you know, uh, score off a shot fake and a move or something. Yeah, you could be so creative with that. I love that. That's really good. You, you just game the game, right? What, whatever right. it is, you, you might be, hey, corner threes are worth 10 points mm -hmm. or, um, you know, slips on ball screens or ten, whatever you in yeah. your offense you want, right? No, that, so, that's really good. Yeah, small side of game. So, you know, yeah, I think you already touched on – I think they're great, but, like, I'm not as big on like small side as I am just like two on two, three on three games, like using the whole court too. Sometimes we like lane line and over mid line and over. I think small sided is fine and, and working in small parts. And, and we do that. We'll do um, like a four on four thing where, or three on three, where we want to feed the post and Laker cut or split cut off of it. And you only have the lane line and, you know, but there, there's FIBA. I mean, gosh, most of my practices would be um, competitive games like that. We, we like a lot of one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, build up into five-on-five. And, um, you know, so the FIBA one, another um, small side or competitive game would be three-on-three -three ball screen where you got to pass, follow with a ball screen. And, but then you put restrictions on offense or defense. So for defense, what does everybody want to do? They'll just switch. And maybe you see a lot of switches, so you'd allow it. But we usually say no switching. It forces the defense to communicate, forces them to decide. And I, use, I before all these games, Matt, I don't know if you do this, but I like to give players and their teams like 30 seconds to huddle and talk about, like, are we going to hedge? Are we going to double? Are we going to go under? And they actually, again, this is where players are smart. Like, they learn, hey, against, um, against chance, we're going to go under. Hey, against Chris, we got to double him hard. And so I give him some freedom. Or if, if you know in your system we're going to do this, well, then just do that every time. Like I'm, I like jump switches. I call them jump switches, and we call it black. We, anytime we switch, we, we, black, we say black um, just because so the other team doesn't know what we're doing. But we jump switch. So when they come off that screen, the first dribble's got to be away because we, yep. we jump out there. Um, so – uh, yeah, those are some of the small three on three screen away. Um, four on four balls got to hit the posts. Four on four mm -hmm. balls got to hit the paint. 
you know, there's a, there, we can go on and on, but those are just a few ideas. One quick question going back to FIBA. I want to make sure I, I have it correctly. Yeah. So if I score, the other team gets out of the net and it's live, like I, and I'm guarding the basketball. If, if I drive it in on you and I lay the ball up, I know you block my shot, but if I lay it up and make it, you grab it. I, I've got to let you get it out of the net. But once you have secured it, I could, I could just knock it out of your hands if you're not strong with it. If you try to pass it, my teammate could jump in and steal the pass. Now, if I knock, let's say I knock it out of your hands, do I have to pass it back outside the three-point line or is it then live? I try to just say everything clears on turnovers. Okay, so – but yeah. offensive, I, I I miss guy misses a three, I crash, I get the offensive board. I can oh, no, play no. it. No, no, offensive board. I can play it. For, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Just want to make yeah. sure I had that down because we're definitely going to add that to our practice. All right. The other two things on the FIBA too that we do. Again, this is we. But if the ball ever goes out of bounds, it's always defense's ball. Now that's that's kind of dig the Benzio PGC thing and. The reason is we don't want to get into like, oh, no, no, you tell, like, we're not going to get into these arguments. And it removes the coach. So if you're the one coach running a 24 player practice, you can bounce around to other games and you're not the referee. Any non shooting fouls, check it. Any shooting fouls, count it. Two or three, whether you know, go by twos and threes. Um, and let me go back to the D, like, say, um, I got the ball and you you knock it out of my hands. Like, well, I should have done a better job of protecting. Like, and that's what that's the we teach the why behind the what there. And then the last thing is, and this is an important one if you do it next week, Matt, is and I think it's a great tryout drill when you do your trials because it just you get to see who competes and who who gets it done. Um, but uh score, and this is one you gotta sit on. When we score, you've got to call out the score. You got to call out the five to two, nine to five, because we don't want to get to the end of the game. And this happened. I can just go ahead and tell you, it's going to happen every time if you don't put this in. And then it's, no, no, we had 14, no, yeah. no, six. And it's just like, you both lost. You didn't. Right. Um, yeah. And my practices, if I ask a score, how many threes you hit, if they start the, if they start it with, I think it doesn't matter. You made zero. Right. Some coaches say, I don't do specific rebounding drills. I just emphasize rebounding in everything we do. Which side do you fall on? Do you do specific rebounding drills? Yeah, the answer is yes. Like, and I'm, I'm not being – well, I guess that is sarcastic. Like, I've moved towards emphasis over drills and just high accountability. Um, but I think you – I don't know, Matt. My, my overall take on teaching and coaching would probably fall here. Like, I've moved towards – Drills supplement the competition. So I want to do a lot of competitions, a lot of games, what some people call the games approach. I'm going to do a lot of games and then use the drills to supplement and aid what I'm seeing. And okay, we're not boxing that much. Okay, okay we're going to go do a box out. Oh, we're not, we're not jumping the ball and getting the help side. Okay, we're going to go get in shell and, and drill it. Or uh, players, you, you guys want to do drills or you want to do games? What do you think players 100% of the time are going to say games? And quite frankly, they're going to have more fun. And, and that's like if you came, and you came to one of my BCB sessions probably, you know, back in the early days, yep. like it was probably heavy drills. Yep. I did a lot of drills. And I, if you came down today, like you're going to see just a lot more competition that are, again, not it's, – it's all the competitions are designed to draw out whatever we're working on. We'll do it. I'll flip it on you. We do a defensive cutthroat drill. Um, and one of my mentors and guys that works with me, Milt Travis, you may know Milt, that put longtime Georgia high school coach, you know, he, he says this is the best defensive drill we do. It's a cutthroat drill. We do it three on three or four on four. And, um, and so essentially, Matt, you would, uh, let's say it's four on four. You got a team of four um, on defense, team of four on offense, and then back towards half court, you have another team of four waiting to come on. So the flow is half court to offense. Offense, if they score, they go to defense. If defense gets scored on, they go sprint the baseline, sideline, and sprint all the way in six seconds. They got to get to the other baseline. Okay. And if the defense gets a stop, then the offense is off and they get to stay. You get three stops in a row, you, you win the drill. 
And um, that's a kill, right? So some people call that a kill. If we can get multiple kills in a game, we're going to be a pretty good defensive team. All right, so, but here's the thing. Within this, we don't just say you get a stop. No, here's what we have to do. And this might not fit your defensive schemes, but this is what you've got to get a high hand on the closeout. You've got to call ball when you close out. You have to, all four have to communicate the entire possession. If three of the four are and one is not, it doesn't count. And then the fourth thing, this is where you're boxing out. Speaking of boxing out, you have to box out. So, Matt, if you shot a step back three and you were falling down and I was guarding you, I literally, to build the habit, and I'll get back to how we game it, but I've got to go touch you, forearm you, or box you. And sometimes we say, hey, I just need to see you touch the dude. Now, you'd be like, well, why would I run? Even if the guys that have – why would I run there? I can go get a rebound. Uh, I get it. But we want to – you know how games, game slippage, it's going to always slip. So we're going to train at the highest level. And then we'll – as we get through it, like common sense would say, if a dude took a wild um, off-balance layup, then I'm just going to go get that. I'm going to anticipate. But early on in my preseason, early season, that's the standard. So if the blue is going against the red, your team in red, you um, we didn't close out, we didn't box out, but we got to stop. They get to stay on defense. Sometimes we kick them off and they like it's like perfection. But sometimes we let them stay, but you don't get a point. You right. got to get three points to win, three points in a row. So what you mentioned, Sam, before that I liked outside of the uh, cutthroat D before we got to that is you mentioned you go to a games approach and you throw in a drill to supplement if the skill, if you're seeing a skill not there. So I guess coaches should leave some wiggle room in their practice schedule a little bit, but you maybe want to leave just eight minutes or t- of wiggle room in case you need to throw in two four-minute drills that uh, you didn't have planned. Yeah, I the way I do it, or I've, yeah, we all we all think we're gonna we're gonna be on time. No, the reality is you're always gonna go over. But like most of my little segments would be eight to twelve set minute segments. But I build in like a two minute you know um, cushion there, and then at the end I build in a ten minute cushion because I know like and I put extra, and then I put a series of different drills or games that we might play as extra. Just to just so I can look and say, oh yeah, like we may need to do this. And I think all great coaches, let me I won't say all oh, that would be an un, uh, that would be a factual statement. I think a lot of good coaches prepare their practice as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that preparation, that discipline really leads to freedom, right? So because we're disciplined, because we've well we're well thought out, I think all good coaches deviate in the moment. And some coaches, you know. I won't say I know coaches that are thought of some experts. They go out on the floor. They don't have a practice plan. They've been coaching 25, 30 years. They know exactly what they're doing and they've reached a level of mastery. Um, I think I'd still, I mean, I think if I was coaching 30 years, I'd still want my plan. And, but, but they're, they're able to do it. So it's not like you have to do it. But Dean Smith, he said, Hey, I'm gonna have a two hour practice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna prepare for two hours or four. I can't remember four hours. You, you might have had Mike neighbors. He's a big like, hey, I'm gonna spend, I'm gonna spend, you know, double the time the practices on my on my practice plan. So I think there's a lot of uh, value in that. And again, I don't like to critique other coaches, and I hate this Twitter world we live in, where someone makes a 20 second clip and we crush a guy. Well, you know, we we love tearing people down, so I I definitely don't want to do that here. But and I could think about my own career and think about some things, but what are some drills or things, some classic basketball drills that you used to do that you've gotten away from? Like, like you said, it must've been, man, golly, eight, nine years ago, I came and watched you. I think you were at Hiram high school uh, leading uh, a blue collar uh, yeah. workout. And I drove up there and watched you do a couple of workouts. And you said, if I went and watched you today, it would be completely different. And it's not because what you do was wrong then, it's just you've grown as a coach and your philosophies have changed. So I don't – maybe you would say you were doing it wrong. I don't, I don't know if you would. But So what are some classic things that you've kind of gotten away from? I'll say three. And, I, you know, some of these I'm, I'm sure other people have said, so I don't want to regurgitate too much. But, like, okay, first, can, I, can we talk about – this is my soapbox. Let me just get on it real quick. 
Um, and I apologize if you do this again. I don't, this is just my pers perspective. Pre-game um, warm-up layup lines. You mean the 15 minutes before the game? Yes. And yeah, I know okay. that we're talking about practice, but, like, this happens in practice. But, like, this would be a drill. Like, lay up, like dribble from half court, lay it up, right? And the other guy comes in and rebounds and passes. I just think we – I think there's better things that we can do. Get like, how many times does that happen in a game? Zero. Zero. Going at that speed. <laughs> Zero. Where you get to dribble straight line. Right. And no, no defense. Nothing. Right. So if it wouldn't happen in a game, I want to eliminate everything from a pregame warm up to to practice time that wouldn't happen in a game. And that's let me say that with an asterisk, like. There may be a ball handling drill where we go between the leg crossover and attack, like where only 5% of my players would actually make a between the leg crossover attack move. But we're, we're improving an overall ball handling drill to we're trying to combine a finishing drill with a ball handling drill. Yeah. We're going to be some of that. Like I want to give like granted that, but I just lay up lines. I don't, I don't, I don't see a place for them. Now the NBA guys, those guys have, I mean, they go and have a workout, then they do a, uh, yeah. a pregame. So, like, they're going to go. I mean, it's, that's a different thing. But uh, by the time the fans get there, they broke a sweat 45 minutes earlier and went back and showered and put on their uniforms. So, right, yeah. the, the pros is a different game. But I get what you're saying. And my kids now, again, we have never do layup lines. But if I ask them, like, what we want to do, if they want to, like, hear, get me to chuckle, they're like, hey, coach, we doing layup lines tonight? I'm like, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's not do that. So, and if you think it like, look, I don't know what the main audience here is, like whether it's college or high school, but let's say high school coaches are listening and you play 30 games and you have 30 15 minute warm ups. Well, that's the equivalent to, you know, maybe, I don't know, I'm off the top here, five, I've done the math before, like five or six practices. So if I can add five or six practices and do work on some of my offensive actions, you know, dribble handoff into a, you know, to a three ball or whatever it is and work on some of my defense or post speeds and cuts. Like, so I just, I want my pregame to look like our game. And um, that's one three on two, two on one, not a fan. I mean, I did that in my early days. I cut my first year coaching college. I coached, I was a head coach of our JV team. Oh, I would cringe if I went back and watched those practices. <laughs> um, but three on, like it just doesn't happen where the defense is literally just sitting there waiting. Most transition occurs when the defense is running alongside the offense, or there's one guy back. Like it's 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 just not that structured. So our transition drills would look different. And then zigzag drill, like zigzag drill. I think there's some. I think the return might be, oh, we're going to learn how to guard the ball and handle against pressure. But I know this with if I'm coaching a team, I want to sit on the on the strong hand and keep it on their weak hand all the way up the floor. I don't want to turn them unless we have some sort of run or jump thing coming from behind, but I want to keep it on their weak hand. So the zigzag is a is a drill that's been around for years that if you ask coaches why do you do that? And if they don't, the, 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 tell, the, the true test is if you don't know why you do a drill, it's time to drop the drill. Yeah, that's good. I, and I think on the zigzag, it's kind of funny, is, is if, if the pace that you're coming down the floor, like your point guard, you would just say, if the guy's going to move like that, saying, just blow by him. Yeah. You know, like you would never let yourself just be guarded like that for eight or, eight or nine seconds. You would blow by him or, like you said, maybe try to keep them to that weak hand and, and don't let them uh, bring it back. But, yeah, we, we could probably go through drills that we've all done over the years that mm -hmm. uh, we thought were good. And maybe along the way they weren't as bad as we thought, but there's, there's just a better way now. I was watching a middle school tryout at the end of a session I ran. And any, anything – I mean, look, I think play, one of the things we talked about before we did this interview was, like, talking about efficiency and stuff like – I think Matt players don't want to waste their time. And I, I don't as a coach. And so anything that doesn't serve us in a game or improving us, our skill set, like it's just time to drop. Like, and so just, in, yeah. So I, I always think about that.
it makes me think it just just crossed my mind there sometimes we just determine in advance practice has got to be two hours well now i've got to fill two hours Mm -hmm. but if you're doing really competitive intense games four minutes five minutes three minutes and then putting drills in plus a lot of shooting you may can get the practice done and realize man i can get this done in maybe a hundred minutes and not and i know when i spoke with tj he definitely said i respect the player's time these are college kids. They've got lives. They've got girlfriends. They may have a job. They've got all this stuff going on. Don't keep them for two and a half hours if literally you're just trying to fill uh, some time. I think that's what we do sometimes. I mean, there's nothing wrong with we've got planned for a two-hour practice, but hey, man, 90 minutes, we accomplished a ton, great energy. Let's get out of here. Let's get off our legs and man, get home early on a Thursday night. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I agree. That that's kind of the art of coaching, you know, the science and the art. And that's the art of reading your team, talking with your leaders. TJ's great. I mean, he's one of the best at that. Like he always has a great pulse of when to pull back, when to push a little bit. And it, you know, you never you never know as a leader either. I mean, it's it's you you sometimes push and you're like, gosh, I shouldn't have done that, or I should, you know. So it, it's a constant battle. It's a tough one. Okay, let's talk about this shooting. Because I've known coaches, and I crack up thinking back on this. I've known coaches who've said the following: "We're just, we just, we're going to put so much time into defense, so much time into defense. We're just not going to be a good shooting team for the first semester." And it's like, man, every single possession, you were, your goal is to shoot the ball, and now you're just saying for the first nine games, we're not going to be a good shooting team. Well, then you can never say a kid say anything to a kid who misses shots or misses you know easy ones because we've kind of set the standard. We're just not going to be a good. And I've heard coaches really say that, and it's kind of you know boggled my mind. If anything, as I've coached longer and longer, we try to give more and more and more time to shooting. One thing the kids love it, and we're going to shoot sixty times a game, not counting free throws. So we definitely want to be a fa- fairly skilled in that area. Absolutely. Um, so. You know, you you worked a couple of our PGC Glazier clinics back in the day, and mm-hmm. we did them and didn't we did them all over. But one place we did them was Denver, Colorado, and there's a there's a high school coach there that spoke at our clinics named Ken Shaw, and Ken's won like six state championships, one as a player, a couple as assistant, and then several as a head coach, and he's always had great shooting teams. And so Ken and I would be talking and pick I'm picking his brain, and he. You know, this is a few years back he shared in his practices, Matt, if he did a drill, the next drill would be a shooting drill. So like every other drill, he might be working on defense. Well, the next thing, shooting. Work transition, shooting, right? So, and and his team shot really well on a, on a state and a national level. Why? Because it was an emphasis, right? And so, you know, I, that, I went, this is several years back and I was, you know, thinking about, okay, how do I design better practice? I mean, practice design is fascinating to me, you know, and, you know, Lenny Acuff, who you may have had Lenny right on your podcast and Lenny was on our courtside interviews. Cause I, I'm a big believer in charting shots and having drills that, um, that have pressure and how do you create pressure, like time and score, like either shoot against the clock or shoot against, you know, the, the score and so all of our dr- shooting drills would have that. We there's value in getting on the shooting gun and just getting a lot of shots, like volume reps, right? right. But in practices with, that we're going to run, I think you should have pressure on them. Um, and so we chart, and that builds out our green light system. If you shoot seventy percent or higher in our shooting drills, we've deemed our green light system. Then you're you get a green light. If you're sixty to sixty nine, you're a yellow. That means yellow means like we've had to work the ball around and but you couldn't take like, you know, a, a no pass, one pass shot potentially. Red light, you just don't get to shoot. That'd be uh, 59 or lower. Well, Lenny said something interesting that, again, you know, being being a great coach that he is, he's like, Sam, I don't, you know, I don't do a lot of shooting. We, we chart shots within their practice during live scrimmage. Like that, and that's how he bases like how good a shoot, like how well. I mean, I, this is preseason or early season. Once you get 10, 15 games in, you got game percentages, you know. But how do you go to into a game knowing do your players know who has the green light, who, who's allowed to shoot? And so, yes, I, I think shooting is so important. 
It's one thing I love what Steph Curry did to explode skill. Like I think we went through a stretch where in the NBA size athleticism were the were the premium and you know, and then skill was not. And now we're at a place, I mean, you know, Rockets are shooting 45, 53s a game. Like, so shooting matters a lot. Now, Matt, do if you walked into your locker room and you, I'd be curious to know this, and you said, guys, what's a good high school three-point shooting percentage? Do you think your guys anonymous, like don't let them answer out loud, but they had to write on the index card. What, what do you, what do you think they'd write? And would they write the right answer? You're talking about a, a game shooting percentage. Game shooting percentage. Yeah. I, I think, cause we've had some good shooters last couple of years and we've talked a lot about a percentage. I think that a lot of them would write down a fairly accurate number. What do you think they'd write down? I think, okay. I've never had a player shoot 40%. I'll just say that. I think that's a, a really great high school shooter. I would say a really good high school shooter, 36, 37%. Okay. A solid high school shooter. Now, again, I know there's guys out there who say they've got guys shooting 46 and 45 and 43. I've never had that kid, so maybe I've never had a great shooter. But I think I think they would say, you know, an average shooter, 30 to 33%. A bad shooter in the 20s, a good shooter high thirties and then a great shooter above 40%. Yeah. And I would, I would, I'm, I'm somewhat aligned with that. I probably like, I, I usually say good high school shooters are 40 plus. I say, you know, if you're in the 35 plus, like you're, you're solid and, and we, we want you to shoot it. If right. you're 40 plus, I'm going to, I want you to shoot eight to 10 threes a game. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to run, I'm going to run plays for you. We're going to have offense design. You start, you start pushing 45 plus, I mean, you're special. And, and quite frankly, that's it. Um, that's it. High school, college level. Like, you know, college, I, I was looking up these stats just a few weeks ago. There's, there's not that many. And when you look at the totality of number of players playing division one basketball, not that many 40 plus three point shooters. Um, first, we've got to define it with our players and have that conversation and ask them, what do you think a good three point shooter? I mean, I, I've asked this question. As I've gone around doing, you know, PGC clinics all over the country, been in Australia, been, you know, different parts of the world. And most players, they just don't know what they don't know. Like they'll say Steph Curry shoots 75 percent. Like they don't know. So I think what does that mean? We as coaches have got to educate them. What's a good percentage? Then what do you do with the game percentage? How do we try? Well, what's a good practice? We got to define what good practice so they know what to aim for. And I think that's often missed with that conversation between coaches and players. Okay. Well, well, let's talk about that for a minute. We can kind of you know, dive into this. So do you think a guy with no defense on them, a guy gets out there and let's say they're going to shoot a hundred threes or they've got to make so many or just shoot a hundred threes. What would you say their percentage is you expected to drop once they get to game competitiveness? Okay, so I've been tracking this the last four or five years. Um, it's a, it's not complete data, and here's why. Like, so I recognize this. We did a, a 25 three-point shooting drill. You shoot five spot, five threes, five spots, 25 threes. We track it the entire you know club season, and we put it in a Google sheet. We share it with all the families, so all the fam- like you, so mom and dad know exactly why little Johnny isn't allowed to shoot like I'd be a bad coach if I let Johnny shoot threes that's not a good shot for our team if he wants to get better go get in the gym and so it's an incentive to get in the gym so what I found we we've charted it at first year I did it out of 21 guys we had seven guys that shot 70 plus in practice like we had a lot of good shooters um and I've always thought they would be hovering around the 40%. Now, I didn't have the uh, ability to chart all their game shots. You know, if I was in a high school season or coaching back in college, like we could do that. But I've always believed to answer your question, you're going to drop at least 30%, sometimes more. Like NBA guys, um, from my understanding, they're, you know, like the elite guys are making 85 out of 100. They're like, but then they're they're dropping you know forty percentage points forty five, um, and maybe that's because of the extended line, longer defenders, more pressure. But 
I think 70 plus in practice is translating to hovering in that 40 range. Right. Yeah, that's good. I think a lot of coaches, that's something I'll pay, pay more attention to. So you just had them do the five spots, five shots in each one once a practice and you just track those 25 shots or would you do it twice a practice or how would you do that? One minimum once, sometimes twice. Um, and then you have a minute 45 to get them off. This is another, I mean, we haven't talked a lot about this. I'll be quick on it, but like, this is a culture builder too. And what I mean by culture, like what's your culture? Our culture is be a great teammate. What does that mean? Well, that means you're tired. Be a great rebounder, be a great passer, be a great communicator. You can't throw lollipop passes. If a ball bounces long off the rim, do you sprint, walk or jog or run? Like we have bounce runs. Like if the ball bounces, you're going to have those number of runs at the end. There's incentive. First time I did it, I had dude, dude dive into the floor in a shooting drill to save it. And like, I didn't say anything about hustle. He just, he knew it mattered. And so he worked at it and works on, so that's your culture of communication, your culture of being a great teammate. And so you have a minute 45 and if you don't, if you don't get those passes back, that, that guy and that girl ain't not getting it off. So we, so minute 45 to get my, my 25 shots off. And then the other guy or girl gets, so you can knock this out in, you know, a little over three and a half minutes or so. Knock out. Yeah, I, the, the last, the buzzer goes off three, two, one, boom, buzzer is going again. So you're done in less than four minutes. You're charting it. You either have, you know, in my world, I have them come by and I hold my, my camera, my um, phone and, and just, I record what and they say it. Yeah. You know, if you, if you got the coach recording it. So, yeah. That's good. All right. This is one thing coaches always talk about free throws. Um, how much time do you give free throws in practice? Or is that just something you feel like you cannot mirror or mimic the pressure of a game? What do you think about, you know, and I know some coaches who, who, who've said, hey, we stopped shooting free throws in practice outside of game situations, and our percentage stayed about the same as opposed to having oh, okay. guys. Yeah, like, like the kid who struggles with free throws, shooting them as, as, a, as a team, how much time do you, do you give that? Okay, I thought you were, like, talking about just free throw situation because we do a lot of free throw, like, we start a five on five right. segment with a free throw, but that's more for schematic reasons. Yep. Like how we're going to box out, how we're going to box shooter, double down on the best rebounder. Free throws, like, no, I don't. It's been zero time on it. I, I, don't, I don't remember. I was listening to a podcast a few years ago, and I don't even remember who I heard. They, they had some really good points. I was like, yep, I believe whatever they just said. It might have been Matt Painter. I don't know, but. Um, it was something like, you do this in practice. It has no, there's no simulation to the game, like because of the fans and the pressure of being there. And there's everybody watch, and like there, this coach had like real data to support that the amount of time you spend in practice shooting free throws doesn't really translate to game percentages, and you got to do they they um, like basically halfway through the year, they're starting to learn how to shoot pressure free throws. Now, I think great free throw shooters probably spend a lot of time on their own, so I'd encourage my players to spend time. But I, I, don't, I don't do any free throw shooting in practice. Well, Sam, we've, we've covered a lot of things. Anything that we missed, any last words to coaches as we're in Georgia going to hit practice on Monday? So this podcast, people will be, will be in practice for a couple of weeks when they hear it. But in other states, some don't start after Thanksgiving. So – any last tips or, or words for, for coaches who are about to hit the hardwood? Well, you know, well, yeah, I mean, I've got some thoughts and I'm, I'm excited to hear from after coaches listen to this, any, anything that resonated and maybe it triggered new, you know, whenever I, I'm sure same with you, you listen to something, you're like, Oh, I like that. Or it just triggers you down another road to something better. And, um, you know, I think one thing is one thing COVID has, you know, like when I get on court, Matt, I, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm an intense coach. So I got, I'm, I'm about the business and I want to, I want to get, and I, I, relationships matter a lot. And COVID is, is really allowed me or forced me to work on enjoying it more. I mean, I enjoy the intensity. I enjoy the, I, love, I enjoy seeing players get better. But what I've tried to do is, is, you know, 
smile more, have a little more fun and still be intense, still be, still be about getting it done. And so as you enter a long season, remember to enjoy those moments. Um, and, and some coaches do a phenomenal job with it, you know, like, but, um, and then as far as practice goes, keep like have your wins be really clear on what your wins in. then how does that fit into your like weekly goals and then your big picture goals and I think having that structure really helps I know it's, I know it's something that's really helped me and help coaches and um yeah I mean the fact that you're listening to this podcast I think says you're a grower if you're growing as a coach I think you're going to grow your your players around you so I just I appreciate you letting me come on and appreciate what you're doing for I love, I love basketball. I love coaching. Uh, and, um, you know, you're doing a lot to help grow the game. So thanks for letting me come on and talk hoops with you. Absolutely. One last thing that crossed my mind. I don't want to let you get off too quick. Sorry, just crossed my mind. You held it up earlier, but can you just describe for the listener, what does one of your practice plans look like? Is it typed up? Are you doing it in Excel? Are you having goals beside each drill? Like, just give us a little description of what your practice plan plan looks like so i've got a buddy of mine who's you know we're talking about practice plans and sending each other how we can tweak them and make them better because i just have a file for the last however many years and i have them dated so i can go back and see what do we do on november 16th in 2019 and what yeah. are we doing today how is it different or, or whatnot it's just it's good just to track things and go back and look at old old practice schedules yeah i mean right here in the de- my desk to my left in the top drawer i have uh, every single practice plan I've got in my closet, 10 years of college practice plan. So I, I go back and I look, I, I love doing that. And they're all dated and I, and I put them in manila folders, but my practice plan now it's on a word document. I have at the very top, what our wins are for the day. So I literally type wins. I don't put gold like wins. And uh, that could be three to five things. I have the players names who's in practice, who's out today. Mm-hmm. So I got you like, that's important. And then I have what we're going to talk about pre-practice. What's our message for the day. And then I have the drills with time. So, you know, it'd be, you know, six thirty to six forty. what we're working on one-on-one DHOs or toss and finishes. It's a, it's a finishing one-on-one games we play. And then I'll already have I want to have my teams built out sometimes. Sometimes you got to pull guys out and I let them pick teams. But I want to have that because I don't want to be, I don't want, I just don't want to waste time. I want to, I want to have as much structure on that plan with the wiggle room. And so everything's built in at the very end. I always try, not really refresh, I don't try. I always have a basketball thought and a, and a life thought because, like John Wooden said, you know, what am I teaching my players today that they can use 20 years from now? And really, 20 years from now, whether they can hit a jump shot or set a good screen won't really matter. But if I can teach them something in life um, that, that's going to carry with. So that's, that's important to what we do and what I do. And so, and then I always have an extra, I put extra at the bottom of my page. And these are things that if we have extra time or I feel like we'll aid some of the competing, we would, we would add that in. And when practice is over, do you guys meet, come to the middle briefly? Um, do you review the thought of the day? How does practice end? Gosh, this is an area I need to improve. We, I've, I've started out with the greatest intentions there and, and never been, I just, maybe this shows lack of discipline, but what usually happens after practice, a player comes up and we talk and, or I need to go talk with this, these two players about something in practice or something in their life or like, and so the huddle, I need to make it a sacred thing because it's something we really want to do where we huddle up, we have a debrief, doesn't have to be long. Um, and, and I'm in non-traditional coaching, Matt, so right. I'm, I'm going into a gym that's not mine. Like, whereas you're, you got your team, you go back in the office. And so I, I would say it's, just, it's an apples to oranges kind of thing. Um, Absolutely. But I think that's a really important piece to, like, Let's talk about what we just did. What what went well? What could we do better? And and uh, my my great intentions haven't been carried through, so I got to work on that. Sam, we'd love to have you on again and talk about another topic, maybe in the spring after the season's over, yeah. and talk about some other things. But we appreciate what you do and um, with blue collar and 
key five coaching and PGC. Um, you're a great ambassador for the game and you love coaches and you love players and helping us all grow. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Feelings mutual, man. Thanks so much. And pre- appreciate what you're doing. Keep it up. Thanks for listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review and also leave a comment about what you enjoyed most about today's guest. I hope you'll join us on our next episode.